I'm Sharon Betters, and you are listening to a Help and Hope resource produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Each of these resources addresses life crises, often very difficult ones, in a way that encourages, enables, and equips listeners to find purpose and hope in hard places. You can visit markinc.org, that's marking.org, to find many more free resources, like the one you are about to hear. I am so glad you joined me for my conversation with Ellen Dykus today. Ellen is Women's Ministry Coordinator at Harvest USA, and our topic is relationships, are they worth it? And I don't know of anyone better to talk to about this than <laughs> Ellen, because over the years, she has discipled hundreds of people struggling to find their way through the maze of broken relationships. In our conversation, Ellen is going to share some of those ways that she encourages others to see that those broken places can be opportunities to experience even deeper community and better understanding of ourselves. So, Ellen, welcome. Really great to be here, Sharon. Well, before we jump into our topic, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you spend your time? Yeah, well, I'm a Midwesterner transplanted to the East Coast. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, came on staff here at Harvest in 2007. And, you know, my ministry here takes up a lot of my emotional and actual time. So in my downtime, I enjoy taking walks, spending time with friends. I'm a coffee girl, having coffee talks with friends, and uh, just enjoying, enjoying and celebrating life. So I'm a little bit more of an introvert than an extrovert, so I also really love my alone time. I appreciate you saying that. I think more of us are introverts than we realize. Mm -hmm. And that alone yeah. time, some people don't understand, is really a, an opportunity to be re-energized. It's not because mm -hmm. we don't like people, obviously, because you are your whole world is around people. But <laughs> yeah, we do need that moment, don't we, to kind yes. of refill our cups. So. Yes. Well, the more that I get to know you, and you've kind of touched on this in your description of your life, but the more I see your passion for helping people to build strong relationships, you're very passionate about relationships. Why is that? Why, why is that so important to you? You know, there's a, f a few reasons. One is because relationships are very important to me. They always have been. I grew up as one of eight children, so I was surrounded by people growing up, peers, and even as a, as a young girl and into my young adulthood, just my women friendships were especially significant to me and continue to be even at this stage in my life. You know, I think the most foundational reason that relationships are so important to me really flows out of my life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, because to be a Christian is to be involved in the lives of people, sharing Christ's love, sharing his hope, coming alongside sharing the gospel. But it's not only that, you know, God has designed that his people would live together as his children, as brothers and sisters, that we are an eternal family living together. And I think because of my own struggles in relationships in a variety of ways, as you mentioned, I've gotten to walk with many, many women over the years um, who have wrestled relationally. I've seen that a lot of us need help. We need coaching even in knowing what does it mean to be a friend? What does it mean to be a godly wife? What does it mean to be a godly mother? So I think it's just, uh, it's an area that's important 
And it's an area that we all need help in. And I think that that need is growing deeper because even though we are more connected than ever, and probably very few listeners haven't heard the reports that people are lonelier than ever, even though they supposedly have more friends online through social media and uh, know more about one another, there is this growing loneliness and this growing depression. Mm. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I definitely don't think I'm an expert uh, in answering that question, but I do think the reality of technology has contributed to that. I think there's probably lots of different factors that people are lonely, but I'll just zero in on that one because I think the ability now to connect through things like a text or a video message or online social media, um, it, it makes it so easy and so not as costly, if you will. It's a lot easier to text somebody than to give a phone call. And, you know, myself, like I don't call people that often anymore. I, a lot of my relationships are either through texting, or emails, and then trying to guard those times of actually having face-to-face, -face, you know, relating and being together. But I think the, I think the ease that technology has provided has really hindered how known people truly feel. And when we're not known, that stirs up all kinds of insecurities and fears and I think deep loneliness because, hey, if people really knew me besides my texting, my emojis, my, on, my post, what would they say? Would they still want to be my friend? So I think that's one of the reasons. Well, I also want to say that technology has been used in a lot of beautiful redemptive ways. Like I'm in touch with people overseas instantly almost. But I do think some of the ease that has come has decreased our, our ability and maybe even our desire to do the hard work of relationships. And it really makes what you said earlier even more important that relationships are hard enough on any level. But now we seem to be losing even the basic means of developing relationships uh, mm -hmm. that are meaningful. I mean, I, my generation, I, we took our grandkids to a Christmas display in a mansion, an old mansion, and they were so tickled over seeing an old phone. <laughs> now that old phone, I probably have one of them up in the attic. It's just a mm -hmm. regular phone, but they were so amazed by this phone where you actually had to punch in the numbers. And I, it took me back to the many, many phone conversations that I used to have. You know, mm -hmm. I'd be fixing dinner and I'd be, we'd be planning a Bible study. Our Bible study, yeah. you know, my co-chair would, and I would be working through details. And mm -hmm. those are the kinds of things that add depth to relationships. So we have a whole generation coming up that doesn't know how to do that, uh, but they're hungry. They're hungry yeah. for it. Let's talk about what some of the pitfalls of relationships are, you know, even in a perfect world where we're all trying to have those, um, those rich connections with one another. What do you think some of the pitfalls are that jump right out uh, when I say that word? Well, again, I mean, I could answer that in lots of different ways, but there's, there's one, one kind of direction that is simple, but I think covers a lot of ground. And that is one of the pitfalls is that when Christ isn't in his rightful place in our lives, people will not be in their rightful place in our lives. And here's what I mean by that, is that if we aren't seeking Jesus as our Lord, our soul's satisfaction, our soul's comfort, 
um, companioning us. Um, and none of us are, are experiences that without, without longings. You know, I'm not talking about a relationship with Jesus that eliminates any desire for people. I'm not talking about that because we're human. But when, when he really is Lord over our lives and we are receiving his loving care, his loving companionship, then people can be just that, people, rather than a Jesus replacement. Mm-hmm. And that propensity, that natural inclination that I think all of us have to make a son or daughter, a friend, a husband, a boyfriend, a coworker, a boss, a pastor, a counselor, be a Jesus replacement for us, that pushes Christ to the side and it begins to elevate that person in a way that best case scenario is going to be a messy relationship. Worst case scenario, it could be an idolatrous mess, a destructive situation. So I think those are some of the pitfalls is that we we want people to be more than what God has designed them to be. And perhaps we've not learned or we just don't desire to really allow Christ to be what he says he is, living water, the bread of life, comforter. Um, And I could go on and on, but I think that sums up a lot of the relational struggles I've had and probably the majority of the struggles of women that I've gotten to walk with over the years. So it sounds to me like expectations are a key, is examining yes. what our expectations are. And, but I also, uh, just listening to you, I realized this is a lifelong challenge mm-hmm. of learning how to cultivate that relationship with Jesus so that mm-hmm. when we are disappointed, with someone in our life, when somebody lets us down, our, our auto response is to go to him mm-hmm. and to say, okay, Lord, what does this mean for me? Exactly. And, and when, as we learn to do that, I think we also grow in knowing how to reach out to people and offer love and receive love from them in ways that lead to wholeness and encouragement and, and growth. But what you just touched on, Sharon, is something that I've seen over and over, especially in my ministry to wives here at Harvest USA. So, you know, our ministry is kind of, is focused on how to bring the gospel into situations where sexual sin, unfaithfulness, struggles have impacted a person's life. And in my now 11 plus years of ministry to wives who are in marriages that have been impacted by some form of brokenness, almost a hundred percent, I won't say a hundred percent, but almost a hundred percent of the wives that kind of stay around and walk through our discipleship process, they will say, one of the ways that God has used this in my life is to reveal to me that I had expectations on my husband that should have been on the Lord. And that's not minimizing their sin, but because their husband has so fallen off their pedestal, they've realized that perhaps they'd made marriage or their husband a, a Jesus replacement or, or an idol. And that begins or kickstarts for those women that will receive it, a very rich season, though it be with tears, of growing into that abiding relationship with Jesus and by God's grace, hopefully growing into a restored marriage with their husband. I, I can imagine how extremely painful this is for 
a woman, really anybody, but let's speak about women who have, who think they're doing the right thing, you know, that they're serving their friend. They think that they're loving their friend. They're caring for their friend. They're there for their friend. Their friend needs them. They're the first one there. And then their friend disappoints them. I have so many people in my life who have experienced that, you know, by the time you get to my age, I guess you, that, that's just part of the way it is. And yeah. the heartbreaking part is when they conclude that, that the Lord was not faithful to mm. them. I was doing what you told me to do. Mm. I, I loved this person the right way. And, um, and they miss a step of going to the Lord and saying, okay, what does this mean? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I love that you've brought that up because you're kind of singing a part of my song, if you will, a part of my story is like that type of friend that you described, that was me, is me in some ways. And and that, as I mentioned, like friendships are really important to me. Like my, I'm kind of all about girl world. I'm a single woman, but I don't think it's because I'm single, but I just really enjoy my sisters, my sisterhood. Um, but, you know, for many years, I lived as that woman that wanted to be the, the need meter, go-to person, always be there as the mentor, or the spiritual mother. And oftentimes, though, my desires, my motivation were really coming out of a Ellen-centered place rather than a real desire to love. I was really involved in people's lives because I wanted to feel good about myself. So when women didn't respond the way I was craving, huge disappointment, maybe even indignation of, well, how dare she? Doesn't she know what I'm doing? So I could have had, you know, just my expectations and desires were off track of really a Jesus-centered perspective. Um, But, you know, sometimes I think we're disappointed by people because they're just, they could be oblivious to what we are desiring, or, or maybe they're even unable to give us the kind of love or relationship Another thing is that sometimes people are just oblivious or unable to respond to us in the way that we are desiring, and that leads to disappointment. And here's what I mean by that, Um, especially on the oblivious one. Like, I've had many situations where I've felt very disappointed. Like, she didn't call. She didn't respond to my email, or he he didn't respond to my request. But the person just didn't realize Uh, I needed to communicate to them. And we all love for people to intuit our needs, right? They could just be oblivious. But, you know, there's also the reality, and I'm thinking in particular of a person in my life, an extended family member, um, who I love. God has done a lot of beautiful, redeeming work in our relationship. But at this point in this person's life, I really don't think there is an ability to give me the kind of emotional intimacy that I desire. And when I came to that realization and could grieve it, it's led to such a difference in that experience of disappointment. I still grieve and ache at times, but there's not this slamming the fist down disappointment anymore because I realized that there's a level of brokenness there that hinders this person from being able to relate in the ways that I I would desire. You have really touched a nerve with that one. I'm just thinking of um, different situations of wives who their Mm. husbands, I think they love them the best way they know how, but Mm. there is something broken inside of them where they cannot 
They don't get their wives. They don't understand what their wives are trying to ask them for. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about it the way you put it, to say, mm-hmm. grieve that, accept it, surrender to it, instead of condemning the person for being such a sinful person, mm-hmm. but recognizing it's possible there's a brokenness here that makes it impossible for them to love us the way that they that we need for them to or we want for them to. And so and so I just said something that we need for them to. So tell me what do we do with that need? Because I, I don't think these women are being unreasonable mm. in their expectations. Yeah, well, and I I agree with you. I think especially in the marriage relationship where a husband and wife have covenanted, you know, before God and others that they will be devoted to Christ, you know, hopefully in a Christian marriage and and devoted to one another in all areas, which would include relational, emotional, sexual, spiritual intimacy. I, I would first answer your question, and this this may be hard for some some people to hear, but I, this has really freed me up. Is I think it's crucial that we distinguish out between needs and longings, between needs and desires. Uh, the reality is that in Christ and with Christ, I don't need people to love me. I desire it. I long for it. But if a person disappoints me, I, I can heal from that and grow out of that. And I'm not talking about, you know, that we live as an isolated hermit. And maybe we'll get to some of that later on. But I think it's very important for us to distinguish between what, what are our true needs and what are desires? And it's very easy for those to flip-flop or to cross over into the other category. So, you know, specifically, let's just talk about your what you raised with, say, a wife who's in a very lonely marriage. How, how might she respond? Well, you know, actually, I was thinking about a handful of things of how do we respond when we are disappointed. And I think one of, one of the first is, I actually came up with four C words. Hmm. Um, you want me to kind of go through those now? I absolutely do, yes. Because okay. yes. I think this, this will kind of relate across the boards. Across the boards. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about, we need to cry out, challenge, hmm. confront, care. Here's what, I, here's what I mean by those words. For first, cry out to God. God, I am I am hurting. God, I'm lonely. God, I'm so disappointed. This isn't what I thought marriage would be like. This isn't what I signed up for. So crying out, the Psalms teach us that anything we need to say to God, we can say to God. So crying out and being gut raw honest with Him, and maybe with some trusted other people too. But the second thing is is challenge, and that could be. First, challenging ourselves, doing some self-examination of where are my expectations? Am I making desires a demand? But it could also mean challenging, um, and this will kind of lead into confronting that person. And I would say, especially for wives, first crying out to God, but then going to your husband and taking that risk, being vulnerable, letting him know how you feel, but you've got to watch over your expectation that he's going to just get it right off the bat and do a 180 and start loving you the way you want. So I think there's a challenge, but also a confrontation, confronting where somebody isn't being faithful. And I'm not talking about something like sexual unfaithfulness necessarily, but 
even like a, a husband that you feel like is withdrawing from you or isn't making time a priority. Uh, those are areas where God calls a wife to be that helper, that azer, strong helper to go after him in Christ and help him rise up to what God's called him to be. Hmm. And then that fourth word is, is care. And, and that would be having that heart of compassion to help somebody grow, to help somebody perhaps see where they've had blind spots in this area. I've gone through all four of those things myself in multiple relationships. And usually if I'm not crying out to God first, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to grow into that place of really caring for that person, much less wanting to be vulnerable with them. Um, because again, I'll just maybe be putting them in a place where I'm expecting them to meet all my needs and I'm setting them up for failure. Again, I'm setting up our relationship for more disappointment. So that, that's a lot, but that would be kind of a summary of some thoughts, hopefully yeah. a pathway for women. Ellen, I, I just appreciate so much the richness of what you're sharing. And listener, if you are intrigued and you want to know more, you can go to markinc.org and put relationships into the search engine. And the website will take you to a series of devotionals that Ellen has written about relationships where she expands on a lot of what we're talking about today. And I, I encourage you to do it. And, and, and as you know, we're speaking, I'm speaking with Ellen Dykus and um, please go to markinc.org and find those devotionals and use them for your own personal study to kind of unpack a lot of what Ellen is saying right now. I really appreciate Ellen, that progression that you have outlined and especially the one about um, how wives have a responsibility to be an encourager and to help their husbands recognize those broken places just as they have a responsibility for us. Mm. But then the last one of caring, of genuinely mm. surrendering to the Lord, the hurt, and then asking the Lord, how can I love him better today? Or how can I love my friend today with no expectation of any returns? Mm -hmm. And mm. That, that, is, that is a challenging place to be, but in Christ, he gives yes. us that strength. He does. Mm. Well, as we talk about, I think we all would agree that we're going to have disappointments if we're living with sinners. I mean, it's all their fault, right? But Of course. <laughs> of course. I'm all about the blame. It's, it's all about the blaming. But let's think about, or let's talk for a few minutes about how God can use those disappointments and broken relationships for our good. Yeah, well, a um, few thoughts. And as you mentioned, you know, in the blog, I blog series, I do, I do talk about this. But, you know, a Bible teacher that I benefited from many years ago would say that, that you know, God, disappointments are God's appointments. And, you know, for those of us that have a rootedness in believing that God is good, holy, loving, and sovereign— we can really rest in that. And so I think one of the ways that God uses disappointment is to draw us near to himself. I definitely think that's a way he uses people disappointing us when we've elevated that person. It's, it could be as if the Lord is gently saying, they're their child. I, I, I want you to come back to the true bread of life, to your true um, home, your heart's home. So that's a significant way. I also think, though, that, and again, hashtag been there multiple times, God uses disappointment to, to disconnect, to detach us, to put space between us and relationships that may be problematic, that may be even unholy. 
So I'm, I'm thinking about even, I mean, any relationship can be unholy, including Christian marriages. There can be unholy components, Christian marriages, Christian parenting relationships, Christian friends, when, when the very things that we've been talking about aren't in place, when a mother is looking to her child like a surrogate spouse, when a friend is looking for a kind of emotional intimacy with a friend that really is mimicking marriage, or as, as we've talked about already, when a wife is potentially looking at a husband to be, you know, Jesus with his Nike tennis shoes on. So the Lord, the Lord will allow us to be disappointed as a way to, to rescue us from potential idolatries. And, you know, something I've seen myself is God uses disappointments, I think, to guard the race, the path marked out for us. You know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is quoted a lot. talks about running our race of faith with our eyes fixed on Jesus on the path marked out for us, which means it's boundary. And I've seen this in different types of, um, for example, as, as a single woman with, you know, some of the situations over my life where I was longing to be married or longing to be pursued and it didn't go that way or even other situations. And that disappointment, I can look back on now and say, wow, Lord, as painful as that was, you were guarding your purposes for me. You were guarding the good works prepared in advance for Ellen Dykus. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, Sharon, that this is all a lifelong process and it absolutely is. Like we all look back on things and we can see, mm, that's how you're working this out. And, and that's where the community of faith comes in as well. Friends that can help us see things that maybe our pain or disappointment is blinding us to. You mentioned that sometimes God might remove us from a relationship because it's unholy. You know, it's not mm. good for us. It's not good. Maybe it's not good for them. That mm. it may have nothing to do with them, but it's all about us. Mm. How do we know when it's time to let go and when it's time to surrender that relationship to be ended? Can I use the good old answer? It depends. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad um, because I don't think it's black and white. Yeah, well, it, yeah. I mean, it, it does depend, but I think, you know, I don't think that's black and white. I think there would be some indicators, though. So that's, I mean, let's talk about that from our point of view, you know, not from, say, another person's point of view of them looking at us, but our point of view. Like, when do we need to release, let go, you know, however we want to put it? You know, I think some of those indicators would be, some clear ones would be, you know what, this relationship and the attempts to cultivate it, the attempts to stay in touch are distracting me mm-hmm. from other things that I know God has for me, like my marriage or my children or my friendships or my ministry. So it could be like, you know what, this relationship for all the watering I'm doing, it's, it's not bearing good fruit. That would be one indicator. Uh, another another marker or indicator would be that as best we as best we can discern, we have a clear heart before the Lord. Our, our motives have been Christ centered, wanting to pursue this person. But that individual, and I'm not talking about marriage here, but that individual just is not responding. Maybe they're being kind of outright cold or distant, or maybe they're they're kind and warm hearted, but they're just not responding in the way that you are desiring or craving. Well, that could be an indicator of, you know what? 
the Lord just isn't at work here to draw us into a, a closer relationship. And, and that's a part of that just disappointment and being willing to receive it. I think those would be two, two key things to, to keep in mind. When do we become introspective? You know, how can those broken relationships turn our hearts toward ourselves to see, well, maybe there's a problem in me. Mm. Maybe the problem is not in the other person. Maybe God wants to use this to reveal something in my own heart that needs, needs attention. Yeah, that, that's excellent. And again, that's a, definitely a part of my story as I, you know, related and moved towards people in, in many ways, just from my own brokenness and my own, my own sinful pursuits. You know, one of the ways that God has actually most helped me in that has been first through, through disappointments. And then with, with, with maybe those very friends or other friends who have been willing to speak the truth to me in love. And I think in particular of a situation many years ago where a friend, a very close friend of mine who was dating somebody very seriously, and I was feeling, hey, I'm feeling kind of displaced here. Uh, I'm not as important anymore. And well, you know, that's not fair. You know, how, how come this and that? And I remember talking to a friend about that and so many words she basically loved me and but also challenged me and said ellen you know what god's calling you to get on board with whatever he is up to in in this friend's life and if he's bringing these two people together then god is calling you to to get behind that in any way possible even if it feels costly even if that means encouraging their love and closeness means in a sense, less of that being directed in, in your, your direction. And I've had some very direct, piercing, with love things said to me like that by friends that have really been instrumental in, in examining myself and, uh, and being willing. And now to the point where I long to ask God to do what David said in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, Lord, search me and know me, examine my heart. Show me if there's anxiousness in there. Show me as it says, if there's a way of pain in there and lead me in the way everlasting. So yeah, I think we need to be willing to let the Lord search us out through his spirit, the word, but also inviting people to, to speak into our life and to give us that relational feedback. It's humbling, but it's needed. That's a need. Ellen, we've talked a lot about how we can respond in those broken places and, and also how important it is to have relationships. But we know there comes a time where the relationships may never be able to be healed no matter what we do, but we're carrying a lot around so much hurt. That is real. And it's rational for us to be hurt because the other person has done so many things to betray us. What is the place of forgiveness and how can we start experiencing the freedom of forgiveness in those kinds of relationships? You know, I'm, I'm so glad you asked that because the reality is that a lot of relationships are going to remain broken this, this side of heaven for a variety of reasons, including what you've just mentioned is somebody maybe listening that has a very broken relationship and has desired, maybe even tried to move towards that person and there's either no interest or lack of ability, lack of awareness to reconcile the relationship at all. And so 
you know, a few thoughts on that would be, you know, first is for that person to, in a sense, be sure that they have grieved it before the Lord. And that's not a one and done, but to really be honest about how they have felt. Um, I think most of us tend towards stuffing, numbing our, our true feelings, and maybe even holding out a, a sense of hope that actually isn't realistic. Now, Christ, I think, can heal any relationship. But again, the reality is that this side of heaven, I don't think all relationships are going to be. So I think grieving before the Lord, but then you know, I believe that forgiveness is, it's a part of our calling and enabling through Christ, through the Holy Spirit to be able to offer that forgiveness to a person, which also is a part of releasing that pain that we might be carrying, uh, the disappointment that we might be carrying. We don't need a person to ask us for forgiveness or to honestly to even acknowledge what they've done for us to be able to forgive them through Christ and then release them to Christ. That's for our freedom as well to not be enslaved by the brokenness in that relationship. Um, that is a tender, a tender question, but I think, you know, taking those steps is a good start. That I think challenges what most people would say that, you know, let them go. Who cares? Forget about Mm. it. But every time their name comes up, there is a bitterness and an anger. Yes. Would show us we haven't really experienced the forgiveness that we can't, the freedom of forgiveness that we can extend. Um, Mm -hmm. So Ellen, as we wrap up, I am thinking of women who are listeners, uh, men, women, teenagers who are listening, who they're listening because their hearts are so broken by relationships and Mm. they may have heard some things that they thought, well, I could probably do that, but they have no idea what you're talking about when you talk about Jesus as being the center of uh, a relationship. So as we wrap up, could you speak to that person? I mean, just imagine you're sitting across the table from someone who has said that to you and Mm. just speak one-on-one to Mm. that, to that person. Well, to you, listener, uh, I've got a word of comfort, word of challenge, and then I'll finish up with another word of comfort. Uh, the first word of comfort is that, you know, God, God sees you. He, he knows you. He knows what you're, what you're feeling and experiencing. And his, his design for us, even as you may be in a place of, I don't know who God is. Um, God has never helped me with my relationships, but God, God never designed for us to do relationships or do life on our own. As a matter of fact, in one of the Gospels, which are the Gospel of John, which is one of the books in the New Testament that really describes the life and ministry of Jesus, Jesus is talking to his very closest friends who he knew was going to, he knew they were going to betray and abandon him, deny him. And he says, you know what, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. And he, he invited them to live in his love. And right before that, he'd actually been talking to them and saying, for those that believe in me, my father and I will come and make a home in you. That is a type of intimacy that we can never experience with a person. So I would, I would offer that out to you as a word of comfort and invitation But second, the challenge would be is that we can't do relationships on our own terms. Mm 
Um, I've tried that and it never works. And so my challenge to you would be, are you trying to work this out with your own knowledge, your own wisdom, maybe an independence for a variety of reasons, maybe fear of, I'm not going to let God into this, this part of my life because maybe he'll ask me to do something I don't want to do. Well, because God's designed us, he's also designed how relationships are meant to work. The final word I would give to you is, is a word of comfort. And I, I just want to read a poem, actually, called Disappointed by one of my mentors, a woman who died in 1951. Her name was Amy Carmichael. But she wrote this as if Jesus was speaking to somebody who was disappointed. It says, Are thou disappointed? Come to me. I will never be a grief to thee. Hurt by hand thou trusted? Come to me. Leaves of healing I will lay on thee. Are thou broken? Come, my child, to me. I, thy comforter, will comfort thee. Even friends can sometimes changeful be. I will always be the same to thee. And that's what Jesus can offer us, that no friend, husband, any child can offer a unchanging, ever-loving, always-present God. Alan, thank you so much for the wisdom and for the richness of our conversation and for that beautiful comfort through your own life and through your relationship to Christ. And I am so grateful for those of you who are listening. Uh, my name is Sharon Betters, and you've been listening to a conversation with Ellen Dykus, who has discipled hundreds of people over the years. You can connect with Ellen by going to harvestusa.org. Or as I mentioned earlier, I suggest if this conversation intrigues you that you go to markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, put relationships in the search bar and you will be led to a series of devotionals that Ellen wrote on relationships where she unpacks a lot of what she has shared in our conversation. You can also connect with Ellen on, on Facebook, which I highly recommend that you do because she regularly seeks to encourage others with her online presence. And it's always fun to see what Ellen is up to because she has lots of surprises along the way that are just really encouraging. I can't wait to see what else God has up his sleeve for you, Ellen. So, Amen. So thank you again for listening. Yeah. Again, you can find more resources like these at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. Um, we have many that address really broken places like grief, adultery, sexual abuse, drug addiction, loss of a loved one, and even a series for military families. So that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. Thank you so much for listening.